I'm Johnny Varvel, UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe. And even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varvel UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, this is an international break special, which in my opinion, I've never been a massive fan of international breaks. But what has been wonderful in this one in particular is the rise or the return of the of the Women's Super League, the WSL. Women's football's really had a prominence this weekend, I think. I was much more engaged watching some of those matches than I was watching the England national team. But, you know, I, I do usually have a bit of... Um, a bit of a struggle when it's the international qualifiers. I don't know if you feel the same, Callum, when it comes to England. Yeah, I would say as an England fan, probably the most fair weather of all England fans until like the international tournaments actually come round. I'm very sort of, I'll sit there if I have to and I haven't got anything on. But, you know, um, I'm very much like you, much prefer my club football. But mm. as you alluded to, it's been great for the WSL having that sort of break is sort of, Definitely sort of, you know, a lot of people's interest and, you know, a lot of the teams played at the grounds of the men's senior teams, which was massive. You know, some good attendances, TV, of course, as well. It's been a really, really good weekend for it and a really good start. Some great games as well. Very good plug and almost taking over hosting. Something I'd like to do, actually, in future weeks. Callum has got a wonderful voice for hosting as well. But after all of that, Got to say, WSL expert certainly isn't Callum, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. So we decided to bring in wonderful Mia Erickson, for, who obviously does Varvel, but not just writing, but also camera work. Some fantastic photos you've taken, Mia, over the years. Is that a big passion of yours as well as the writing side of things? Yeah, it is. And then I'm like, you know, now, now I'm, I'm also taking the... Uh, Barca Hub innovation course in tactical football analysis because I wanted to, you know, develop my writing a little bit, mm. sort of. So mm. now I can't watch football uh, to enjoy it. Mm. Never. <laughs> it's, Never. It's all about watching in in different with the different perspective. So. Well, that's that's fascinating. I mean, if you ever want any more tactical guys, I think, Carlo, are you writing the Callum Boyle Football Manager Guide? I mean, I got a few interesting messages this week that were dissecting how to play with a, what what, what was it, four two three one with Wrexham Football Club? 4-2-4 gig and press at the minute. Must be working. Hopefully he can provide some insight from his football manager experience, which I can vouch for being plentiful over the course of the week. However... We're going to start, actually. We could start with internationals, but I think Mia's here. And I do, and I, to be honest, I was much more engaged with the WSL. So I think we're going to start there and generally uh, start with the, with the coverage as a whole, really, because it felt like a really landmark moment, this, for WSL and for women's football this weekend in particular. It marked the start of, in the UK, a television deal between Sky and BT, which was worth approximately £24 million to the, to the women's football over three seasons. Now, Mia, from your point of view, and, and I know you're obviously Swedish and not a member of the, um, of the of, or not living within the United Kingdom, but I'm sure you can appreciate the magnitude of a deal like that for for a, a sport, women's sport, that, that has had some real hardship over the past few years. To see that deal come into fruition, it must be a wonderful feeling for you personally as an avid WSL fan and, and, and women's football fan. Yeah, I mean, I thought I was ha- have been happy in Sweden uh, because uh, in, in Sweden and Scandinavia and, and I think 
uh, via play and NAND group uh, exists in other countries around Europe as well. But I mean, we've been lucky here. They've been they've been covering the WSL and and the Frauen Bundesliga. And last year it was uh, Serie A in in the women's league in Italy, and then Primera Iberdrola in Spain. So. So, so I just thought that we were kind of lucky uh, with that. But but I have been watch, watching Sky uh, this weekend, actually. And I mean, it's it's uh, very different from watching Via Play now. So I think I'm going to scrap Via Play <laughs> full time and just go for Sky. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to watch uh, women's football with... Uh, can I can I say real pundits without being <laughs> depends depends yeah, yeah. No, I think so. but uh, I mean real pundits great analysis uh, you know it, it's a package of the game it's an it's an experience uh, and this is what I think women's football ha- have been struggling with um, for mm. many years to to you know uh, present the experience mm. uh, of the product mm-hmm. not just streaming a game because that's not the whole experience no. uh, of football and i mean you know that watching watching the men's game it's the experience of you know the studio time be- before the game uh, half time and then after mm. so mm. i think it's great yeah, no, I think I think you summarised that really well. Actually, talking about that, Callum, I mean, in the in the on the men's coverage, we've actually seen uh, people from women's football background. We've seen Alex Scott, Rachel Brown Finnis, who was on the BBC's coverage this weekend alongside Alex Scott, actually on Football Focus. We saw Emma Hayes in the England uh, international co- on the England international coverage this week for the men's, and we've also seen Emma Hayes quite prevalent through the World Cup. So was that, do you think, maybe a stepping stone, seeing many faces from women's football coming onto the men's game? Do you think that's helped to provide a bit more prominence to the women's game that we're now seeing? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when you when you hear the name like Alex Scott, everyone knows who she is. Everyone knows who these people like Karen Carney. So immediately you turn on the telly and you see these people there, you instantly get that connection and go, oh, I've seen these people before. And these people, they're very good at what they do. You know, you have to look at you only have to look at some of the tactical analysis they were going through. It wasn't just sort of lighthearted, it was in-depth stuff, which was really interesting to watch. And sometimes you don't even get that from the men's perspective. It's sort of it's almost like they, they get the clicks of views, but it's not just the clicks of views with the women's. It was certainly that's what I felt this weekend from the bits I saw. I felt it was really personal, you know. We've seen it all week, sort of the coverage has been brilliant. It's not just sort of little corners in the bottom left-hand side of the paper anymore like it used to be. You're now getting double-page spreads, you know, we're getting sort of, not just sort of, you know, getting in-depth breakdowns on who's who, which team to look out for, you know, which team's the dark horse, who could go down. And I think in general, it's been great. Obviously, we sort of mentioned the international break has helped in some ways because there's not that sort of, you know, focus on the Premier League and, no disrespect to anyone else in England's group, they're on paper not as good. So people aren't naturally as interested. And, you know, attendances have been good. You know, a lot of the teams playing at these the, the men's grounds, you know, and I think it, it, for, for, for a first week, it's been exceptional, I think. And, you know, um, it can only get better. Obviously, the money is probably not, probably not going to see the effects of it straight away. It's something that will happen down the line a bit more. But, you know, it, it's been great to see and I've really enjoyed this first week, actually. And as you said, there's been some really good games as well, which I think also helps because people turn away and go, oh, I want to, I can't wait to see Chelsea play next week, for example. I can't wait. Or Maybe even, not Maybe not after this week. Maybe not, maybe not after this week, but at, at the same time, it could even, you know, that could be someone who could go. I know sort of from a perspective of Leicester, I know the season tickets are £40. It's affordable football as well, which I think is really helpful as well. It's only going to encourage more fans, I think. And to be fair, despite me as allegiance to Chelsea, I do actually, it excites me that everyone was going into this season saying these will be the champions again. Emma Hayes' team is so far ahead of everyone else. And then, bam, 3-2 loss on the first day. It's wonderful from the neutral perspective anyway, if not for Mia and her own emotions. But, 
Yeah, I mean, that, that that's wonderful for the spectacle of the WSL. I have to ask me, actually, on something from uh, what Rachel Brown-Finnis was saying, actually, before the Everton-Manchester City game. She was saying that when she was playing for Everton, she had to work, in, work whilst playing, working for Everton FC in the community in order to supplement her life and make sure that she wasn't in any poverty-stricken state because, quite frankly, playing women's football when she was playing, she wasn't able to live a sustainable life just on the wages that she was on while she was playing, which is quite a wonderful reminder as to how far we have come in that space of time. Now we're touch- we're touching now on the on the television deal that's happened in the UK. Obviously, it's been it's a bit different globally as you've touched on, but the the current package with Sky and, and maybe also the BBC is very very good. But over the past since Rachel Brown Brown Finnis has been playing, which was the noughties and then early two thousands as well, how has women's football changed the nuances? We've obviously put more money into it, but how 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 hard has it been uh, to get to where we are now? There's been a lot of obstacles, hasn't there, along the way? Well, yeah, and I think it's it's important to remember that this isn't the case for for every football player playing in in the highest leagues uh, around Europe yet. Mm. Um, I mean, I live in Sweden and here we have had uh, our top flight, uh, Damansvenskan has been seen as one of the best leagues for many years. Now it's not. And here they have to work to to get uh, their lives together um, as well to be able to play football. Um, and I think I think it, it's important to remember that as well, because it's it's kind of funny, <laughs> you know, with with the, what happened in in the Champions League for women uh, mm. last season. That we suddenly we were all talking about okay, uh, what is the world's best league? Uh, I prefer to 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 think of it as what what's the world's best football? Where is it played? Uh, and obviously, we saw uh, some of it might be played in Barcelona. Mm. <laughs> so, so yeah. it's 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 more like that. So I think it's. But I I do think that England uh, is ready to lead the way, uh, and I think it's important that a federation uh, and the league will take that flag and, and just smash it, mm. uh, like everything that's happened that happens now so yeah well i mean actually another another noteworthy thing after the england men's game uh, itv announced that itv4 will now be broadcasting the england women qualifiers uh for in, in the in, for the not too distant future and hopefully for the for the for the foreseeable future and you know that's another example of in a, in a week that's felt quite defining in terms of coverage in terms of exposure that's another quite defining thing uh, for women's football that the england national women's team will now be uh, broadcast live on itv for their qualifier matches you know they were, they were on bt so it wasn't exactly always accessible for everyone but free to view, free to air everyone can watch it you know it's it's a perfect way to settle down I think as well what also helps is they're not at the same time as England's men's matches as well so again you know more people are going to go down and watch you know they were advertising when the game is where the game is how to watch you know it and it's not just sort of five second coverage of oh we're doing this it's you know it's important to them you can see they care and you know they're going to bring in top pundits for it I'm sure you know I'm sure they'll bring Emma Hayes back she's extremely popular and you know she wasn't um, taking charge of a game herself she probably maybe been within a case or even coming on the co-commentary today for the men's team so you know these these faces now they're not just sort of names they're recognisable people now and you know they're people with good stature within football across both men, men's and women's and you know it's only going to get better the more coverage it's only going to make it better because it's going to inspire more people to come and play football as well you know it'll only develop the quality of the level as well which is already very high and that's what it's all about inspiring being inspirational and essentially as you as you well as you well know seeing all those young girls growing up wanting someone to look up to and actually having someone of their own of their own gender there delivering succeeding thriving that's what it's all about and the more coverage we get to that and the coverage being justifiable for the game that it's showing then absolutely the better and i think it's been a wonderful weekend on that front 
but into some of the games now because there were games that did happen. And I suppose there's no better, well, maybe for me, maybe not for me, but no better place to start than the London derby, Arsenal 3, Chelsea 2. And it's, well, I mean, uh, the Arsenal manager, uh, Jonas Eideval, looked ecstatic. He broke, he was on his knees, he was so happy. His team had just done a remarkable victory over the favourites for the WSL this time around. And the attendance, it was interesting actually, because the attendance did look quite good on the television, although Leith, who does some verbal writing for Arsenal, was a bit annoyed. At the, at the fact that there were quite a lot of empty spaces, which he put down to poor organisation in that they told people about the match being at the end, but it's far too late. So don't know what you thought about the organisation side of things. It's maybe a bit of a damp squib before we get onto the game. Any thoughts on that particularly? On the TV, it looked quite, quite busy. Yeah, I thought so too, actually. Uh, but, I mean, you can play around with cameras to make it... Sure make it look good but I know that both uh, I know that traveling Chelsea fans were quite annoyed uh, about the fact that they couldn't get uh, an away section mm. so so it's yeah I think you you touched the right part there where, where you said it might not be as good organized um, as it could have been mm. to, to get um, higher attendance um, no. And I think that that's, you know, um, clubs now have, have to learn uh, how to deal yeah. with with women's fans uh, as yeah. well. Yeah, sure. But for those that did watch, they did watch a quite fantastic game. I mean, uh, as, I, as I touched on earlier at the start, actually, Vivian Maidamar in the 14th minute with a lovely goal, cutting inside and then drilling a low shot into the near post. As the Arsenal fans went wild, very ecstatic they were. I mean... Generally speaking, though, on the whole of the game, Beth Mead with two goals later on, uh, goals from Erin Cuthbert and then Pernal Harder as well. But the big controversy, as you will well know me, with this whole game was the second Beth Mead goal, which was quite clearly offside. But I suppose an indicator as to how far WSL and women's football has gone was the lack of VAR there. Now, Emma Hayes was quite vocal about this. She said, we need to keep going further. We need VAR. She said we should expect that VAR and goal line technologies are part of our sport as soon as possible. Um, what we th- what we thought generally on the game and Emma Hayes's comments as well. Uh, I mean, I I think it's like this: if if you don't know about things, uh, then I I genuinely to think that some things even themselves out. Mm. I mean, um, I mean Chelsea probably would have would have had a free kick to even to even um, some decisions from the refs out and, and you know stuff like that. But we all see things now differently. More, the more coverage um, the women's game are getting, uh, we, we are all going to see uh, how poor the refereeing is. Uh, that's the, I think, the difference with this season. But if we're going to talk about the game in, as a whole, I think that those goals uh, that Chelsea concede, um, they were just pointing on Chelsea's weaknesses uh, coming from from the last season, as we all saw them. Because, I mean, as obviously I'm a Chelsea fan, but but you have to be realistic as well. And then you have to, to watch because uh, I thought that when they played Man- Manchester City in that uh, so-called title decider uh, last season, my thought was that Manchester City had developed better uh, during the season and over the season than Chelsea had. Uh, so I think that's where we are. And and to me, it's, it's kind of worrying that a team that just um, have been playing the Champions League final can't attract defenders. Mm. Why Why don't they want to play in England and, and mm. Chelsea? Mm. Uh, because Emma has said after the game that they had targeted players, but they couldn't get them. Mm. But why? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very, it's a very fair point. I mean, I, I, I want to sort of add some kind of 
balance to it because of course there were elements of Chelsea's game that were quite they were quite clearly flaws to Chelsea's game, particularly in, def- in the defensive side of it. But I mean that second goal from Beth Mead Callum was an absolute belter, wasn't it? Breaking past the offside trap, and then it's a ferocious finish into the far corner. It's like it's I was gonna, gonna quote Alan Partridge there and say a, a foot like a traction engine. It's unbelievable right in the far corner. Lovely finish. And I think, you know, Arsenal are going through a bit of a change, aren't they? They've got a new manager in. Mm. So I think obviously there's a bit of that new manager bounce as usually is very charismatic on the touchline. Mm. Love to you see know, that sort of energy filter through. I don't know whether maybe sort of because of how relentless Chelsea's season was last year, mm. that it may be the, the theme that affects. And I think as well, sort of when that sort of whole lift of it's the first game in the season, you're playing in front of your home fans. I think that definitely must have carried into Arsenal. You know, they're feeding off the energy of not just a new manager, but sort of, you know, a new style. And, um, you know, uh, one game doesn't define a whole season, as we know. It, obviously, mm. Chelsea lost today, but they will they will be up there at the top come the end of the season. There's no doubt about it. They are very good. So we know how good Emma Hayes is. She's, she's a, Ruthless tactician, isn't she? She, she mm. inside and out, and um, yeah, but it was a lovely goal. Miedemar, obviously, her goal scoring record is phenomenal. It's it's absolutely outrageous. So it was obvious she was going to be on the score sheet at one point, and then Beth Mead as well. Really good performance, which will, which will only benefit England as well when when she plays for them as well. So overall, it's sort of a really good start for Arsenal. You know, it's the exact sort of thing you want when a new manager comes into a club. You want to get off to a winning start, mm. show the fans what you're all about because, you know, sort of, especially under sort of previous management, you you, you don't know what it's going to be like. It's a whole unknown entity as such and it, he's, he's got himself off to the perfect start. But mm. like I said, Chelsea will bounce back, I'm very sure of that. Mm. Mikel Arteta takes some notes, eh? Um, perhaps, but... On another game, which I thought, I mean, I think performers of the weekend for me, Manchester City were, I thought, outstanding against Everton. Absolutely dominant, ruthless against a very good Everton team that had signed quite, well, nine new signings. Nine new signings for Everton. It certainly looked like that as well, actually, in many occasions, because Manchester City really embodying what everyone, I think, across world football thinks about Manchester City and that they're a team, whoever they are, that want to play out from the back, that want to play beautiful football. And to be honest, they absolutely did that. And they were they were ruthless. Lasada in the 26th minute and then Janine Becky in the 36th, Shaw in the 38th and an absolutely fantastic free kick in the second half by Steph Houghton. Uh, it was just, well, to be honest, most of the goals were wonderful to see. I mean, from your point of view, Mia, are they a realistic title challenger now? Because they were, you know, they had a solid season last year, as you say, progressed quite well. It was a brilliant, brilliant start against a, what looked like quite a good Everton team. I think uh, this is exactly why the WSL is such an exciting league to watch right now, because I think that uh, most team uh, teams uh, from one to five last year uh, is uh, potential winners of this league. Uh, but I do think that Manchester City, they, they sort of lacked uh, confidence after their uh, tie against Barcelona la- last season, perhaps. Uh, just, just a feeling when watching. Uh, but, I mean, every season opener for, for, for teams usually are kind of, oh, it's a bit, you know, you see, you see the flaws uh, really easy because of fitness and, and stuff like that. But Manchester City showed no mercy yesterday. So I think that's, yeah, it, it was brilliant to watch. Mm. Uh, and I think that, um, I mean, th- this is the weekend where you can see the gaps that needs to be filled. Mm. Uh, season season open opener weekend and you see all the gaps uh, that needs to be filled. Yeah. So uh, and Manchester City clearly, you know, they they have raised the bar. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, some of the goals as well, Callum. I mean, Lasada in off the post. It was. I mean, should have been closed down really uh, more ferociously, but fantastic accuracy. I think it almost looked like it hit both posts actually. Such was the. Just was the power on the strike. And also Shaw in the 38th minute, 38th minute, sorry, Katija Shaw, 
not closed down, given far too much space, basically runs all the way across the field, but then a really, really accurate low drive. Again, not even touching on the Houghton free kick, which was fantastically whipped with such precision. Uh, you know, the goalkeeper could only stand and watch with it. I mean, some of the quality in some of those goals was really noticeable. Fantastic. I know, and I absolutely love the way Man City play. I think that they're so exciting to watch. Some really, really exciting players and they're real leaders as well in that squad. And, you know, there's a lot of development. And, you know, after sort of the way they lost in the Champions League final, it's very easy for a side when they're beaten like the way they were to just sort of crumble a bit. But it's almost like they've they've taken that and have come back and, you know, you the first week you always want to make that statement and they've made a statement and a half of the way they dispatched Everton so they nine new signings, that's a lot of blood in. And, you know, it's a bit of a transition. It'll take time, but they've got, you know, Tony Duggan's a great signing to bring back. Mm. You know, she knows inside and out. And, you know, she'll, she'll come go. She's a really shrewd acquisition for Everton. But in, it's the quality of goals on display, you know, it's not just sort of one type of goal, is it? It's, it's a plethora of ways to score. And, you know, teams will look at Man City and will, you know, they'll fear them because they've, they've come out, come out the blocks well and truly. And, you know, they've, made the name that they're going to be in in the title race sure good word callum plethora like that word it's very nice um but yeah i think interesting actually as well very well raised points on the other side of manchester now this is quite funny actually because i remember watching the game and watching the goals between manchester united and reading and i remember looking at the commentator or listening to the commentator rather and they did a pronunciation on the player and Adam Millington, the women's Marvel football editor himself, was sceptical of that pronunciation. Now, I've heard two commentaries of this of the player's name. I'm going to go with one that I think is right. And Mia, you can correct me if it's wrong, because I think this was the one that he was preferring. But Barley, Barley or Baye, how would we go with it? Are we talking about uh, Manchester United's yes. left fullback? Yes, we are. Okay, then I would say Ona Batye. Fantastic. Well, the commentator that I listened to was completely wrong, and that's probably why Adam was calling it out. Fantastic. Okay, there we go. Ola Batye. What a goal as well. I mean, what a way to mark uh, your first game of the season. What a wonderful finish in that game. Absolutely tearing it apart, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean... She was brilliant already last season. Yeah. Uh, I think she really, she really is one of the few players. I mean, I think I've seen that just comes in uh, from another country. You know, a totally different way of of, of playing football mm. uh, fr- from Spain mm. to to England, where where the football is kind of straight and straight on. Uh, and I think she, I mean, her performance last season was. I mean, she just picked up where she yeah. left off. Yeah. It looked like that. So yeah. obviously it was kind of, you know, uh, Manchester United uh, had a completely new backline. Mm. Uh, it was uh, mm. just Ona Batye uh, who, who was there last season. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I think they have a lot of potential um, this mm. season, I mm. think. Mm. It was quite controversial, actually, that Casey Stoney left at the at the start at the start at the end of last season. Sorry, and obviously went to uh, San Diego NWSL team, and I believe that was down to. And correct me if I'm wrong, but something along the lines of she wasn't too impressed with the facilities, partly that Manchester United were offering. Has there been a development on the facilities since she has left, or has it stayed largely the same? In your opinion, would you say? I mean, this has been, you know, the summer's hottest topic (laughs) around Twitter, I think. I think it's, I think it's about expectations. Mm. And I think Casey Stoney is a woman with high expectations. Mm. So I think it's it's something where just like the club couldn't, you know, uh, fulfill her expectation in all areas. Uh, and I mean, it. the article from uh, The Athletic uh, telling that the players were also worried about uh, about stuff. I mean, it, it's, it tells you a story that, that obviously it was uh, some truth, uh, truth in it. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, 
we can only hope that Manchester United, as one of the biggest clubs in the world, yeah. uh, have learned something from this. I mean, I know that Casey Stoney, the, the players that uh, have been signed to Manchester United now, they were a part of Casey Stoney's recruitment plan. I mean, uh, like players like Vilde Börisa, uh, the Norwegian international, mm. uh, she, was, she was planned and, and sort of signed by Casey Stoney. Uh, so, I mean, that that yeah, I I think it's sad that they played the game so high versus her from the mm-hmm. club uh, mm-hmm. that they that they lost her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I don't think it necessarily will be bad for United either. Uh, looking at them playing, uh, you know, Friday, mm-hmm. I think there's potential in that squad as well. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Callum, what it says quite a lot, doesn't it, about a global superpower like Manchester United that they can't provide adequate facilities for the women's football team. And to be fair, Manchester United's women's football team hasn't necessarily been going as well as you would have hoped Manchester United's women's football team would have gone over the years. They've certainly not they've certainly trailed behind the likes of Chelsea when it comes to really putting power behind uh, and support behind their their women's team and their women's um, efforts. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the ground itself, it, it, Lee Sportage, it's, it's notoriously not the easiest places to get to, which often sometimes can impact the attendances. But, you know, um, uh, yeah, obviously Man United as a women's team, it, it's not they, they've not been around as long as others. So uh, I still think they're still sort of finding their feet almost and almost, you know, getting used to sort of what to expect. So I think in that sort of understanding their audience, I think they're, they're quite behind the likes of Chelsea and even Man City and Arsenal, that to some extent, so I think they're quite behind that, and you know that reflects. And it, I think it also proves, no matter how big of a name you are on paper, if you can't fulfil someone's ambitions and expectations, it doesn't matter who you are in terms of stature. They will leave, and you know Casey Stone's a very good manager, but then they've also got who Mark Skinner, who on paper looks to be a very interesting manager. You know. They were the curtain raiser over the first game of, of the WSL, the new WSL era as it is, and then um, they, you know, they showed no signs of any uh, of any of the trouble that's happened off the pitch, mm. showing up with a pretty routine, comprehensive win. And you know that, that that's another name you can throw into the hat for maybe a potential title contender because that that's when they were first inaugurated, they were in the second division, they breezed through that straight into the top flight. And, you know, sort of, uh, it doesn't matter how big you are, you know, it takes a bit of time to sort of get used to playing in the new league. But, you know, slowly but steadily, they're just building themselves up. And, mm. you know, I don't think they've probably got enough to win the league this year, but who knows in more years' time. And, you know, it's a big change. Casey Stoney was was really important in sort of the development of Manchester United and, you know, brought some real quality through. But, you know, they lost, obviously, Lauren James to Chelsea, didn't they? So, you know, it was a big loss. And, um It'll take time. It's a new manager, but he he started off the right way, and like I say, he's he, he's doing he's done well so far. Not to bring the troubles off the pitch onto the pitch. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, big up Mark Skinner because then we hadn't mentioned him up until that point, and he had just won the first game. So I'm glad you did that. I was about to do that myself. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you covered that box and ticked that off. Fantastic. And just to touch on, actually, uh, well, I, we touched on one of the goals, but also a lovely finish from Kirsty Hansen, actually, outside of the boot. Talk about finishing with style. I mean, there's many ways to finish a 1v1, and one of the w- most wonderful ways to do so is so, with such nonchalance with the outside of the boot. I mean, a wonderful opener, wasn't it, Mia? Yeah. Uh, I've actually, that was one of the games uh, I had been looking forward to the most this week. Mm. Uh, and I know it's, it's, I just want to say this because uh, for for people in England that are going going to the game show, uh, games and watch them, I know that the kickoff times uh, not always appeal to mm. everyone. But you mean as a viewer outside the UK, I mean what luxury it is to to be able to watch a game Friday night, Saturday, and and then Sunday. Uh, so, uh, and I think this game. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of players like Bilde Berisa and, and uh, Onabache as well. But, but I, think that, um, I think that Manchester United has got an exciting squad. Mm. Uh, and I think that uh, 
seeing seeing a player uh, like uh, Wilde Barisa in in Manchester United who really wants to be there. I mean, mm. she had, you know, turned other teams down uh, mm. just to be able to join Manchester United. It just sort of, you know, added the extra spice when, when I sat and watched that game. Uh, and I thought I thought United were pretty solid mm. overall. Yeah. Uh, so it was a great, great opener of the season. Yeah, and solid, I suppose, is a, is, is, is a wonderful way to start, given all of the uh, upheaval and, 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 and stress, I suppose, off the field with... With, with the things that have gone on at Manchester United. Other games that were played as well, Aston Villa 2, Leicester 1, Natasha Flint putting Leicester ahead, but then Sarah Mailing and Remy Allen, 63rd and 64th minute goals, swinging that game on its head, and then Tottenham beating Birmingham 1-0 with a header from Kit Graham. Actually, that was a really good goal as well, actually, before we move on, the Kit Graham header. It was a nicely worked set piece. We do like to see a bit of invention in, in set piece deliveries in any game that we watch, because so many times it's just plonked into the box. So it's nice to see a bit of tactical innovation on the, on the dead ball, isn't it, Callum? Yeah, I mean, it's all, it, like you say, Definitely something straight off the training ground, isn't it? And it prevailed. And, you know, it's not nice to see sort of that different element, isn't it? And, you know, um, Tottenham obviously made sort of, they got quite good headlines with having Alex Morgan on loan. Obviously, it didn't quite probably go to plan as expected with sort of a bit limited game time. But, you know, the, the perfect start for them and a lovely goal to cap off against sort of a new look Birmingham side. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good. And I suppose that sort of rounds off the WSL section, which, you know, wonderful uh, event that it has been this week, some wonderful games that have gone. And I hope that the exposure does continue, as you, as we've sort of alluded to. I think the international break did give a bit of uh, a boost to the uh, exposure of the WSL. But I hope now we've had that boost that we can still sort of continue that push for development in the game and it carries on throughout the course of the season because if it carries on getting a good level of exposure then things like Emma's Hayes says about VAR and about goal line technology can hopefully come into fruition over the years because I'm sure that's what we want to see and not just there as well I suppose but also I guess in EFL games as well that that lack uh, the VAR side of things as well in, in the football league so it's something that we would like to see across the board I think um, yeah but of course, it is an international break and that means there is international football. And often, as as I sort of alluded to before, my international break usually is my switch off from football where I sort of refresh, meditate and I take on another kind of hobby. Usually maybe it's a good film on or maybe I go and do something. I actually forgot it was the international break this week. And of course, the Women's Super League did keep me entertained somewhat, uh, which was wonderful and perfectly apt for this podcast as well. However, in the international break, there was some action, no bigger, I suppose, than Cristiano Ronaldo breaking the international men's goal scoring record. 111 goals in male, men's international football, which is truly astonishing that the 36-year-old, who is also joining Manchester United, in case you hadn't heard, is still breaking records. I mean... It was against it was against Ireland as well, Callum. Ireland were one 0 up. They actually played some good football. Two late goals from Ronaldo, heartbreaking for the Irish, but wonderful, unbelievable achievement for one of the best players in in the world or best players of all time. I mean, he just defies the odds every time. You know, he, 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 there was a bit of probably for the first time in his career, based upon his Juve sort of career, there was a bit of there were questions. Sort of, is he beginning to? wind down but no chances he began to wind down not when you put in performances like that I would say pretty heartbreaking for Ireland because I thought they played really well in that game so they took the lead John Egan but you know when you got Ronaldo it doesn't matter how long's left on the clock you've always got a chance of winning and he just proved just his, his ruthlessness and you know that's why he's the player that we all know and love the player that you know he he no matter what, he'll work until the end, 110%. And those two goals proved it. And there's probably not a man who deserves to break as many records as he does more than him. Yeah, based on the efforts that he has put in, certainly in terms of training, in terms of the commitment to the sport, hasn't come naturally, has had to work incredibly, incredibly hard. And quite, quite 
well, not quite ironically, but he did get booked at the end, taking his shirt off for a celebration, which means he can go back to Manchester now a lot earlier, just in time for the Newcastle game, which called me a cynic, but that might have been planned. Maybe not the two goals as dramatic as they were, but I think he would have known what was coming with that yellow card. But yeah, absolutely remarkable, uh, remarkable from Ronaldo in particular. I mean, Mia, from your point of view, I mean, it's difficult really to to argue with the idea that he works pretty much as hard as any other male footballer out there in terms of training, keeping himself in physical condition, practicing every single training session after the other players have gone home. He, I suppose from that point of view, does embody the fact that if you work incredibly hard, harder than anyone else in that, in that squad, then you can achieve the best which he has done. Yeah, and and just add to that that he he stays fit <laughs> all the time. I mean, players uh, in his age. I mean, if you look at Slatan Ibrahimovic, I mean, My lot hero. of injuries coming. <laughs> lot of injuries coming uh, now. Um, and and Ronaldo, he seems like like he just goes on and on, and and is like a machine. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it would be interesting for for the Premier League to have <laughs> to have him. Um, yeah. I hold my Zlatan Ibrahimovic book out. He was just sitting there next to me. Well, underneath a few other books. What a player as well. Carry on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm more I'm more Zlatan Ibrahimovic because I'm a Swede, obviously, than than Ronaldo, uh, but. I mean, it's it's like with Messi as well. Mm. Uh, they coming up, they come up in in that age where where injuries can happen. But obviously, they're they're two machines who just keeps going. Yeah, uh, and it will be interesting to see h- how long uh, Ronaldo will keep going. Well, Ibrahimovic then... is in his forties now, isn't he? I mean, he yeah. is. We, I could t- <laughs> I could do a podcast on Ibrahimovic and my admiration for that man. We will not do that, but. Johnny tells me he loves Ibrahimovic at least twice a week, I would say. <laughs> tell you I love you at least twice a week. It's not, no, it's a shared mutual. Not as much as you I do like, that. I do like Zlatan. You do like Andy King. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> well, oh, good comeback, that. Um, so, it, yeah, he's, he's an amazing, yeah, wow. Anyway, away from Zlatan, um, we have to discuss, I suppose. Well, no, I say, I say like it's a bad thing. England actually on aggregate, won the two friendly games this week, 8-0. So, you know, from, from the England perspective, this is this is my problem. I mean, like Callum, Callum turns into raging, crazy England fan when it's the World Cup. I mean, I think we all do, to be fair, in England to a point. We all get, in, we all get caught up in the atmosphere of everything and we're all singing Sweet Caroline. And when Sweet Caroline came on at Wembley today, I was watching on the television, I thought, ah, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it, when you're playing Andorra? But again, they were two quite professional performances. There's not really much Gareth Southgate can do because he doesn't spend too much long with his players compared to the club managers. So you can't really do intricate philosophies and, and how to break teams down in such a fluid and, and tactical way. So it kind of is a little bit like the players on the field just need to, you know, stay organised, do the job, be patient, and eventually you probably wear the other team down. It's very different to club management. I think I've said, we've said this before, haven't we, Callum, in terms of teams at club level, they have so much time, longer time to work on tactics that when it comes to major tournaments and international games, it's a lot more about who's actually on the field. And if anyone can do something, step up and be a maverick. And... I guess England have got quite a few players now that can step up and, and, and make themselves counted. I mean, today, sorry, Sunday, this is going out on the Monday, but Jesse Lingard turning up, you said he shouldn't play and then he scored two goals and got an assist. So, I mean, that's that's some way to, um, some way to mark your uh, first start of the season, which is probably why you thought he shouldn't have played. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, no disrespect to Andorra, but it's obviously one of those games where you, you circle as... You know, it's not um, if, it's when we score and how many can we actually score. And, you know, it, it was obvious he was going to make changes, made 11 today, which is probably fair enough, you know, a bit of rest and rotation. You know, I did I did say to you that Jesse Lingard shouldn't be playing because he hasn't played 
for United this season, but lo and behold, he goes and scored two goals. Be fair, and you know what I replied to that? It doesn't say. I said, I swear, don't quote me, but he'll get two goals and one assist. And what do you do? He got two goals and one assist. Incredible, incredible foresight. I might not have put that, to be fair. But like, but like you say, it's, it's very hard to learn anything from these sort of games. You know, can you say, oh, he was absolutely outstanding today? Because yes. on a personal basis, yes. But sort of from a team perspective, you don't really learn. I think a lot of these qualification games for England is more about don't get injured, try and score as many goals as you can. Mm. And, you know, sort of building up, sort of, you know, giving players exposure. You know, Jude Bellingham, he's, he's taken the scene by storm, hasn't he? But, is his international career still very early? So games like this, you know, it's another bit of extra experience. It's also a chance for players that maybe don't get as many opportunities with England to play. You know, sort of Connor Cody got a run out. They played, played really well. Almost scored a really, really acrobatic bicycle kick. Very mm-hmm. unlike Connor Cody, as my Wolves friend, Wolves fans, uh, friends tell me. Doesn't he score, does he? Score. So had that have gone in, I think Wembley would have erupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. <laughs> Kane gets two extra goals, so you know it's two extra goals closer to you know. I'd, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't end up breaking the record. Mm. But um, yeah, um, it was it, it was solid, and you know the toughest game is Wednesday, which is Poland away. That will be a difficult yeah. game because you know it'd be a really good atmosphere over there. They they know how to make uh, some noise over in that area of the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it was a. It was a solid display. It took a bit of a while to get going. You know, it was it was one of those. It was one nil, and you sort of you know you're thinking how long's left, and then the goals came in, and it was it was towards the end. Yeah, watching England's like eating porridge. I think really, it's like you um you like it, or I do, and it's you know it's quite good for you, and it's 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 edible and it's lovely, but. And there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't excite you too much. It's not like eating, I don't know, banoffee pie or apple pie or something like that. I just that, That's my analogy. It doesn't make any sense. But when it comes to your team, Mia, and other, other nationalities, and, you know, teams of smaller, you know, I, I say smaller in, in a non-disrespectful way, but teams where you, countries where you're not necessarily expected to uh, to win every game or to win every qualification game, to win games at, at tournaments all the time, I think it's a bit more enjoyable when the international break comes around that you get to see your country in action because we don't get this opportunity to talk to many Swedes. So it'd be interesting to see your perspective, hear your perspective on international football generally. Yeah, I think right now for the Swedish men's team, it, it's an exciting time because a lot of players uh, re- announced their retirements uh, after the Euros this summer. So, uh, and if, if you watched uh, Sweden play Spain uh, mm. in the Euros, mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, there were a few that might have been surprised watching yep. them play Spain <laughs> uh, the other night. So I think it was was a really fun game to watch because it gave, like you say, might not necessarily think, we, we might not walk around to think that we're going to win uh, tournaments, but uh, displays like that uh, mm. really gives you a little bit of, a, of hope mm. because... Uh, compared to to the Swedish uh, women's team, <laughs> mm. uh, obviously we have expectations uh, on them to win, mm. but we don't have that with the men's team. So yeah, uh, so it was. I mean, it was great to see Alexander Isak and yeah. and Dejan Kulusevski just playing around with <laughs> with the Spaniards. So. Yeah. Fantastic. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at times like this, again, I do wish I was Scottish because I imagine the Scots get really into this when it comes to international. They played Moldova. They won 1-0. They should have won about 4-0. But because it's Scotland, they couldn't finish the chances and it kept the game end to end, kept it very tense all the way until the end, at, at which point you thought, could Moldova actually make something here? But I imagine it must be wonderful to be a, to be a Scot in this game. Well, not wonderful for your, um, for your emotions and for your health, but wonderful from the sense that you just don't know what's going to happen as opposed to knowing that England's probably going to win 3 or 4-0 despite not playing particularly well in the game throughout. But yeah, I mean, that's just my slightly biased opinion on international football. Other opinions are available. I mean, there were some, there were some more notable games, well, which I'll touch on now. Belarus 2, Wales 3, Gareth Bale hat-trick and a last-minute winner. Goalkeeper probably should have saved it though, but it was still a very dramatic game. 
five gold thriller. Netherlands four, Montenegro one. Louis van Gaal back and he's won his second game in charge. Love Louis van Gaal after his uh, exploits over many teams across Europe, particularly at Manchester United. Very interesting man. He's back in the management game and we love to see it. France won, Ukraine won. Well, Ukraine won, France won as well. Martial actually is going for France, so a bit of a renaissance for him there, but uh, disappoint, slightly disappointing result for France after a slightly disappointing European Championships. So I guess that sort of rounds off the the notable, other notable European or World Cup quali- or qualifying, international qualifying fixtures. Feel free to check those out on Varvel if anyone's put a report up. If not put a report up, I think we're connected to Geoscore. So you can probably look at Geoscore and they'll fill you in on all of the latest action from around the world. On to some transfers then, because it did have, transfer window did happen to see Mac a very, very, very long time ago. But we'll just touch on a few things that happened towards the end of that window. Uh, again, seems it seems like an age ago, to be honest, but few that stuck out to me on those last few days, Antoine Griezmann going back to Atletico Madrid for 40 million euros, not too long after leaving the club for 120 million euros. Barcelona is the perfect example of a terribly ran club financially, and that deal probably sums it up better than any, doesn't it, Mia? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a bit, I feel for uh, Barcelona at the moment because mm. Henrik Larsson is there. Oh, course <laughs> so i i have to mention my sweets now <laughs> yes yes uh, but i mean i think i mean what is happening with with whenever i think i tweeted that actually when mm. when this window was that it, it's it's mad uh, in the men's transfer business at the moment i mean yes. clubs are uh, destroying themselves to get players mm. uh, it feels like mm. Uh, so so it's it's just mad how clubs can go if go from being rich and you know wealthy and just healthy yeah <laughs> and so uh, and then this yeah. uh, it it's sad uh, and it's sad to see uh messi in a psg shirt when mm-hmm. when you think about um the reasons behind it yeah yeah it's it's crazy that in the space of a few years, gone from Suarez, Messi and Griezmann to, well, a, a quite pale imitation, isn't it, at the moment? I mean, obviously, I, I actually, I will say, in, in fairness, Memphis Depay, very good signing. Antu Fati, going to be a superstar, probably. But again, at the, and Aguero, of course, as well as has sort of sorted himself out now, it would seem. So he should be eligible to play for Barcelona when he can get fit, probably, hopefully, in the next couple of years. But it, it's crazy to see the fall from grace from those fantastic three, even Neymar when we go back and then Paris Saint-Germain actually paying an absolute extravagant amount to get him out of the club. So... It does feel, actually, I suppose, Callum, that La Liga's kind of lost its soul a bit now that Ronaldo and Messi have departed, Neymar as well, and, and, and Atletico actually look like, on, on paper, a team that could actually be the strongest. I mean, for a club so rich in success, so rich financially are they at Barcelona? And, you know, I sort of read them, if they'd sold Griezmann a month earlier, then they might have been able to have kept Messi. So, you know, um, but it just shows how poorly run that club is when they... The Griezmann deal, I don't think it worked out quite as well as they hoped. I think it was all right for Barcelona, but it wasn't sort of anything special. And then poor old Ansu Fati has been delivered the yeah. heavy burden of being gifted the number 10. But regardless, I still think he'll be exceptional in the future. But yeah, Atleti, they look really strong up front. I know they lost Saul to Chelsea, That's but cool. I don't think that'll um, affect them. You know, Suarez... Absolutely devastating goal scorer, probably one of the, the best natural finishers to grace the game. I think he's exceptional. You know, Joao Felix, whilst he's not necessarily excelled during his time at Atletico Madrid, he's got undeniable talent. Mm. Griezmann is a perfect fit for Madrid and Simeone football. He'll slot in straight away like he's never been away, I think. You know, and there's plenty more talented players as well. They're, I think they're the front runners for the title. Yeah. Are a, are a mess. Real Madrid are going through a big transition. Obviously, Camavinga joined on deadline day. Yeah, good, good signing that. 
he's one for the future. Well, good signing. He actually wasn't getting in the rent, um, the rent side of late. He was struggling to get in. He wasn't actually in the best sort of form. But he's 18, isn't he? So he's got all the time in the world. He's probably mm. Modric's natural replacement, isn't he? <laughs> With- yeah, aging midfield, aging midfield. Well, there's there's plenty of other sort of areas. You know, you should imagine that Mbappe will be wearing a Real Madrid shirt next season. So, mm. um, I think that I think Atleti's Atleti's title to lose. I mean, they've got Oblak and goal who's a he's a monster in goal, isn't he? His, his clean sheet record's ridiculous. Simeone mm. has to win games, and whether that's a one nil or the the four nil, he, he he gets the best out of Madrid. And it's the perfect fit. So. Uh, it's hard to look past them to win the title, to be honest. But. Griezmann's the icing on the cake of that potentially wonderful format that they currently that they currently hold. And you mentioned Saul to Chelsea. I mean, that is such a good signing. I I, I missed it until I was sort of looking at Griezmann and the, I was looking at my own team, Burnley, and seeing the Connor Roberts deal. And other than the Connor Roberts deal, I think the Saul signing to Chelsea was probably the biggest of the deadline date. Was quite brilliant uh, bit of business from a player who's been a key part of that two-man pivot for Athletic Madrid for such a long period of time. Chelsea have got a wonderful pivot already of Jorginho and Kante, but we know Kante has his issues with injury and Kovacic is a fantastic player to come in, but maybe not someone you want to play every single game. Saul's just the perfect person, isn't he, to go into that Chelsea team really and, and, and compete with three already very good players in for those two positions. Mia. Yeah, I think uh, Chelsea will have an exciting season. But mm. like you said, uh, I was, I mean, isn't we all expecting Kante to to, to get the Ballon d'Or or something? Possibly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant player to watch. And I think it, it's, it's great to see uh, other nationalities coming in to it to a team like Chelsea and Premier League because mm. you you always talk about the Premier League as the best league in the world and mm. it probably is in, in many many ways and I mean Chelsea went on and, and to win uh, the Champions League this season mm. and now strength and they just seems to be only stronger uh, mm. with a signing like this and I think it's it's brilliant uh, of Tuchel to to add. Uh, just that position, yeah. Because that that probably is the pos- position they really need uh, mm. to just hold things things uh, together uh, yeah. in the midfield and, and to to not suffer on the transitions. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a super super clever signing. And again, Tuchel's pulled a blinder with that, or the, the Chelsea recruitment pulled a blinder with that one, as they did with Lukaku, and actually on balance broke even I think on transfers this this window which was which was quite remarkable in a day and age where so many people go positive net in terms of the spend but uh, sorry negative net sorry with terms of how much they spend going out was that is a remarkable thing that Chelsea have done after a few years of questionable recruitment they've got it spot on this summer and they well um, pushed for a title assault were there any transfers in particular that stood out for you Collins that I haven't mentioned on deadline day or not for sort of um from Connor Roberts? No, I'm going I'm actually gonna throw one out, which um it, it's it, no one from the top leagues. It was Preston signing Ali McCann from St Johnston, which you know, to to the people who don't know the championship in Scottish football, that's not a huge deal. But Ali McCann's a really, really talented footballer. He's shone for St Johnston about against both Galatasaray and Lintz and they're I saw this morning that they got that deal through with uh, five seconds to spare before the deadline. So, um, and they brought him in cheap as well. This is a player that will really shine in the championship. And to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in the Premier League at some point because he, he's, he's that good. Yeah. Edward as well. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. That, that as well. The Christie one to Bournemouth as well. That I'm not sure. Should have gone to the North. Bit of a weird one. Mm. Kind of, he sort of stated that he'd been an avid fan of the Bournemouth for years. So mm. yeah, Edward's Palace one. You know, uh, it was it was all it was going to happen. I think the time is on its course in terms of Celtic strikers. He's regarded as probably the best striker since Larson 
at Celtic, mm. which is a very, very sort of big statement to make, especially when his predecessor just before him, Dembele, had such a good effect as well. I think Edward and Celtic were the match made in heaven, but I think in the end, both sides win. He was in the last year of his contract, so to get 15 million for him was very good, obviously. Uh, a bit of that money has to go to Paris Saint-Germain because there's a, there was a uh, sell-on fee. But, uh, you know, uh, Palace has struggled for goals over the years and he, there's no doubt about it. He scores goals and, um, you know, it might take him a bit of time to adjust the sort of the style of the Premier League, you know. And he, he, he'll be playing in the side where he won't get as many chances as he did at Celtic and that's mm. natural Crystal Palace. But, you know, they're changing their style as well so they're looking to go on a bit more on the front foot. They've got, you know, obviously Zaha, and Gallagher and some other talented uh, players in that rank. So I, I think he'll do well. I think he'll like the London life as well. And um, uh, yeah, right. I think it might take him a bit of time to adjust, but he, he's a solid signing for Crystal Palace and he's exactly what Palace needed, which was a goal scorer. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that sort of, that rounds that off perfectly. If you are still listening and you haven't listened to my little introduction video uh, audio piece, which said like, listen, subscribe, review in no particular order, then do, you've obviously listened, so do subscribe, do review and give a positive review, please, on your podcast platform of choice. My thanks to Mia for joining us all the way from Sweden on Zoom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh. Uh, it was a perfect way to round up this weekend. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's the best way. You know, usually when people come off, they usually swear at me. So that was a fantastic, uh, fantastic, <laughs> wonderful uh, review from our wonderful, wonderful guest. And Callum is also resoundingly complete. I mean, exhausted like me, probably. But um, my well, thanks, my begrudging thanks to him as well. Thank you very much. It's been a long week, but this is the perfect way to end it off. Uh, well copied. Yeah, so thank you all for listening. If you're already at this stage, thank you again. Reinforce the, the idea that reviews and positive reviews and positive ratings and subscriptions really do help push our podcast out there even more than it already is. So would appreciate all of that. Thanks a lot, everyone. See you later.